the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Al Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, 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 my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on this beautiful December 21st, 2019 here in San Antonio. And it, I mean... It was rainy yesterday, but today, my friends, the sun is shining, and it is gorgeous outside. Might be a little soggy for some folks, but, um, you know, it's a, it's a beautiful day. It's one of those Chamber of Commerce winters for us. We've got a great show for you today. We've got uh, three guests that are going to be chatting with us. Uh, first of all, we've got uh, Todd Bensman from uh, the Center for Immigration Studies. And Todd has uh, gotten himself into some hot water. <laughs> I can I can say that because he's a dear friend of mine. But he's gotten himself into some hot water because he has uh, suggested that declaring the cartels terrorist organizations is not the best idea. So what he's going to do, I've asked him to come on the show and please explain his position. And uh, so I, uh, I'm hoping that you'll you'll listen in and uh, and hear him out. Uh, then, uh, of course, we've got uh, another guest from the Border Patrol, uh, and this is Border Patrol um, Union Chief Art Del Cueto, who is, um, uh, in my opinion, Art is is one of the foremost individuals uh, who is an authority on being Hispanic and being a Border Patrol agent. I mean, the guy... Uh, is just, he is, I can't say enough good things about him, but he's going to be chatting with us uh, about this issue of, uh, you know, Hispanics and the immigration issue. Uh, He growing up on the border and uh, being a Border Patrol agent. Uh, We've also got our third guest is uh, Dave Ray from uh, FAIR, from the Federation for for, um, uh, American Immigration Reform. And Dave is going to be chatting with us about a piece of legislation that has been sneaking through the um, through the House, uh, which in essence is a, uh, a, a an amnesty for illegal alien aliens who are working in the agriculture business, in the agriculture industry. Now, uh, one of the things that really gets to me is that part of this legislation requires that an an, an ag worker be uh, working for an employer for a total of 10 years. I mean, that's like an indentured servitude. That sounds like something that somebody would get off the uh, Mayflower and be indented, indentured to. So uh, we're going to be chatting about that. But, uh, I, you know, uh, let, let's, let's, I wanted to, to cover two items before we go on to our show, to, the, to our um, guests. First uh, is this whole issue of the impeachment. Everybody's been chatting about the impeachment. Everybody's been talking about the impeachment. The latest thing is that uh, is that Nancy Pelosi, uh, the the House uh, uh, leader uh, for the Democrats, is uh, going to hold up the um, the uh, impeachment legislation. Uh, she's not going to send it over to the House because she says that there's not going to be a fair trial in the House. In the House, I mean, in the Senate. In the Senate because it's dominated by Republicans, will not uh, impeach, will not finish the impeachment of Donald Trump. So she's going to hold it up. Uh, The latest uh, comment that I heard is that um, she says that it's going to be an impeachment forever because that's how long they're going to hold on to it. Incredible. I mean, I I thought this was about uh, this was about justice. Impeachment is just like any trial, my friends. It's just like any trial, any accusation, any allegation that a person faces. And uh, then there's a trial. And uh, then you move on for it. The problem that we've got here is that instead of having a trial, which the Senate is supposed to conduct, the trial, the actual trial, uh, we've got just the allegation. 
The allegation is made and nothing else. The accusation is made and nothing else. How can that be? I mean, in in the in in the realm of judicial fairness in the United States, how can you have such a situation where you are accused but you never go to trial? I mean, think about it. I mean, it blows the mind. And again, all it shows, my my friends, is that all it is is nothing more than politics. If you don't like Donald Trump, fine, you know, fine. I can live with that. I can live with anybody not liking Donald Trump. But you don't accuse him or anyone. You cannot accuse him or anyone and then not go to a fair trial. This is, this, this is very, very dangerous, my friends, because if they can do this to a sitting president, they sure as heck can do this to you, <laughs> who, who is a nobody. You're, you're nobody. You're nobody. They can come after you and make an allegation and never take it to trial. And you will be perpetually branded. This is not, this is, this is dangerous, my friends. This is very, very dangerous. I really, really think, you know, that we should, we should consider this a very, very, very dangerous situation when it comes to the issue of, of, uh, of justice in the United States. Then, of course, there's the second item that I want to chat with you about, and that's the Alamo. As you know, here in, here in San Antonio, we've been going through a process of reimagining the Alamo. We've been going through what they call the reimagining of the, uh, a redefining, a redesigning of uh, the Alamo footprint. That means the uh, area around the Alamo, the Alamo uh, uh, stockade itself, the historic uh, footprint of the Alamo, as well as we are redefining the history of the Alamo. Now, what's been happening is that many, many people uh, worry that the Alamo is, uh, is not, uh, it, it doesn't give a proper presentation. This was what I've heard in the, in the hearings, in the, that, the, that the Alamo doesn't look like a uh, presentable uh, 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 fortress. Well, I, you know, I'm not sure. Short of moving it out to Brackettville, I'm not sure what you can do. I mean, the city grew up around the Alamo. And uh, short of tearing down everything around it and making, you know, and putting the, the open spaces around it, I'm not sure what you can do. On the other hand, there is an effort to move. Well, the, the, it, it has been moved already. I mean, the, 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 uh, the uh, uh, ordinance has been passed. The recommendation has been uh, approved to move the cenotaph, which is the big monument in front of the Alamo. That's going to be moved. And that cenotaph is... The uh, it, it is the uh, the grave marker, the grave marker of the of the uh, men that fought at the Alamo, and this is not good, my friend, because uh, it, it's like moving a gravestone at a, at a cemetery. The the uh, defenders of the Alamo, who were Hispanic, white, and black, were uh, the, the Mexican general didn't care. Santa Ana didn't care who they were, didn't care what color they were. All he knew was that they had fought against him, and he was mad about it. And he killed them all, and then he burned them all. And their bodies, uh, their ashes, their remains were were put in a heap, and uh, and uh, buried there. Some some of them were buried over at San Fernando Cathedral down the street, over at uh, uh, down down Commerce Street. Of course, it wasn't down down Commerce Street at that point, but that's where they were buried. But the problem was that uh, it is a gravestone. And now it's going to be moved. The other problem that we've got is that there is discussion about um, about uh, the rewriting of the history so that they can talk about a broad, broad history of the Alamo and they can minimize the uh, 1836 battle. This is not good, my friends. When we start playing with, with history, my friends, we start playing with the future. That's all I can tell you. This is not a good situation. So uh, we'll keep you we'll keep you informed about what's going on with this uh, situation here in San Antonio regarding the uh, the Alamo, and um, uh, we'll of course keep you abreast about other inform- uh, other things, uh, particularly uh, in the realm of border of uh, border security and illegal immigration. But until next time, my friends, uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, and uh, take a break, and we will be back with our first guest. But once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, on this uh, last Saturday, on the last show before 
uh, Christmas. I hope that all of you are are are, are going to have a, a happy and a merry merry Christmas with your loved ones, my friends. Doesn't matter who you who you love, as long as you love them. <laughs> uh, we're going to go ahead and take uh, take a break. Uh, we'll be right back uh, again. George Rodriguez, El Conservador. On KLUP 930 AM radio, The Answer. Call your friends and tell them to join us. We'll be right back. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez El Conservador and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, my friends, how you doing? George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, we've got a very good uh, guest with us today. We've got uh, Mr. Art Del Cueto, who is uh, the uh, Border Patrol uh, Union Chief uh, in uh, in uh, Arizona. Uh, he grew up in, da- in in Douglas, in beautiful little Douglas, Arizona. And uh, he uh, is uh, been dealing. He's been dealing with the uh, issues uh, that are affecting uh, the uh, Arizona border now, uh, including the uh, international drug cartels. And I wanted to get out uh, and reach to him because um, the cartel activity seems to have been, seems to have picked up in his sector, and uh, as well as there's been some agents that have been attacked in his area. So. Art, welcome to the show. Thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us. Tell us about uh, what's going on in your sector with the uh, cartel activities. Obviously, first of all, uh, thank you for having me on. Uh, it's a big deal. Uh, I, I love being on the show. I, I love radio more, honestly, than anything else because I think you could be you could be more open and you have a lot more time to be able to express what's going on. Uh, you know, I do a lot of TV, I do a lot of Fox and uh, different, you know, uh, national uh, television, uh, news media uh, outlets, but radio has always been one of my favorites. So I want to really thank you and thank the listeners for, you know, giving me the opportunity to be on here. Uh, it's a big deal. Um, so as you said, you know, I'm out here, I'm, I'm the union president out here in, in Arizona in Tucson sector. Uh, I'm also a national vice president, and I'm one of the spokesmen, I think I'm, yeah, I'm one of the spokesmen for the National Board for Council. And obviously that's what gives me the opportunity to tell it like it is, or at least try to. Um, to us, it's a big deal to have these opportunities. And I'll tell you right off the bat, uh, I hear uh, the, the management side. The management side always gets on, you know, and then they talk to the media and they, they, they give you the stat numbers. And they kind of tell you what, you know, the right things to say. Uh, I'm just going to be completely raw and tell you the truth. Uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat anything. Uh, obviously, I've been out here my entire life. I um, uh, I grew up on the border. I was born on the border. I work on the border. I live on the border. Uh, you know, I, I've seen it all, uh, not just because of the opportunities that have been given to me through the positions that I have, but obviously because I, I grew up here. I, I've seen it since I was a kid. And, and unfortunately, something that you see all the time is the, the major control that a lot of these drug cartels uh, hold the, the, the control that they hold over a lot of the, uh, you know, the area, the residents uh, on both sides of the border. Unfortunately, uh, here uh, it, it's been the same. It's, it hasn't changed. You, you're still seeing, you know, the large quantities of drugs that are being brought into the into the country illegally. It is it's something that I've grown up with, though. Unfortunately, right? I mean, it's like I said, I think I was in in, in my first sixth grade. So it's like the first year of uh, middle school, junior high. Uh, that was the first time I actually saw heroin. And, you know, uh, that, but, but that's what it is growing up in the border. A lot of people don't understand that. Yeah. And sometimes it's seen as the norm, which is even worse, right? I mean, 
it shouldn't be normal. And what's normal to the rest of the country sometimes, unfortunately, just seems as normal on the border. But uh, still here, we're still having to deal with, you know, the drug cartels, uh, still pushing their products. Um, some people have come back and said, well, you know, with the legalization of marijuana, shouldn't that have, you know, the marijuana loads have calmed down? Yes and no. So it, some of them have calmed down, uh, but unfortunately, those individuals that come down on the marijuana uh, uh, trafficking have chosen to start trafficking in heroin and fentanyl. Uh, I've said it many times before, and the study came out uh, last year. Uh, I haven't seen the studies for this year, but I know last year, uh, Customs and Border Protection as a whole uh, seized enough fentanyl in the United States to be able to kill every single human being in the United States. Wow. That's a lot. I mean, that that's incredible. You know, what, what's really good, and I need to interject this, is that what's good is to hear from a Hispanic, from an American of Hispanic or Mexican descent like yourself, that has grown up on the border and, uh, you know, that has this realistic uh, uh, view rather than hearing from somebody like, uh, like Ms. Ocasio-Cortez or others like that. You know, it's really, really, uh, it's, we need to hear more from folks like yourself. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, well, we have it here too. I mean, obviously I live right in the middle of a rogue land, you know, and, uh, and I just don't get, I think there's more Hispanics that are conservatives. They just don't know yet, you know, or no one's told them the right thing. <laughs> I've appeared on different, on different channels. So I speak Spanish fluently, obviously, like yourself, you know, you grew up, you know, in the area, I speak fluent Spanish. So a lot of times I'll do the, the major interviews for like Telemundo or Univision, right? So I'll be on Univision, I'll be on Telemundo, and, and I'll try to explain some things. And some of the stories, interviews that I do with them just do not get aired. Yeah, I've seen that. I want to air them. Yep, I've been a victim of that too. Yep. I, I did one recently where I took some individuals down to the border. Uh, they were with me throughout the day, and I think it's because they were with me all day. They were kind of stuck in a position of, well, man, we spent all this money. We might as well air the show. Uh, but it was it was very much edited and butchered. It was obvious uh, some of the things that they were doing. Like they would add the extra dramatic pauses that really did not occur during the interview. Uh, you know, there was a difference in, 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 in a lot of the presentation and just things that didn't occur. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, I can reach out to one person. Uh, that's a big deal to me. Uh, I've helped out a lot here, you know, locally. Uh, I was, I did a, a little press conference with the governor of the state. And what is funny is that one particular reporter, when I started speaking in Spanish, so I spoke in Spanish trying to tell people, hey, you know what? Don't, don't get caught up. You know, and obviously I did in Spanish. I said, don't get caught up by individuals that have a Hispanic last name. That doesn't mean that that's perhaps the person you should vote for. That doesn't mean that's, they have your best interest. And a lot of individuals, and, and you know, us yeah. as Hispanics, they say, well, I'm going to vote for him because, well, he's, he's Mexicano. I got to vote for him. And it's like, oh, don't do that. Vote for what's right. You know, don't vote for just a last name. So I did kind of a press conference uh, with the governor, and I spoke in Spanish over it. And one of the reporters was, uh, he, I guess he tried to attack me or was offended. I don't, I'm not sure. Or both. And he did say, you know, that what gave me the right to be able to speak in Spanish to Spanish people and, and trying to, uh, you know, speak to the Hispanics or on behalf of Hispanics. And I, and I was confused by that question. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, you know, he says, I'm not African-American. He said, so I can't speak for the African-American community or to the African-American community. Oh, give me a break. Right. And I looked at him and I said, uh, sir, I'm Hispanic. And when I told him I was Hispanic, he kind of looked confused, and he and, and, and he just <laughs> just ignored the rest of the question. And he, he let it go. Afterwards, I went up to him and I said, "Hey, what were you trying to prove? You know, what? what that was the weirdest thing." And he looked at me and he said, "Well, you have uh, light skin and green eyes." <laughs> oh, oh. I thought I didn't think you. That's were not profiling. That's not profiling, is it? And I'm looking at him going, "Bro." <laughs> <laughs> like what what's going on here and he says well i thought you were italian for a second you i, I didn't oh know oh my gosh so you know when i saw that i, I said okay so who's who's the real racist now 
Exactly. That's exactly right. That's amazing. That that is so true. Crazy. Yeah. So he needed me to appear, I guess, like with a sarape and a sombrero. You know what I mean? For for me to fit his version of what a Hispanic should look like, and I found that very offensive. <laughs> incredible that is really you know uh my experience has been where they ask me why i'm not afraid of the border patrol you know and i mean well uh, i don't know i guess <laughs> because i'm not illegal i don't know i'm not afraid of the border patrol and they tried to justify you know that uh, that hispanics are afraid of border i'm so i know lots and lots of hispanics that are not afraid of border patrol right and i know lots of them that are agents that are not afraid of the border patrol that look at themselves in the mirror and are not afraid oh, what? Oh, that's yeah. That's true. Which, which, let me ask you this, and, and and we've only got a couple of more more minutes. But let me ask you about about the the two agents that were attacked uh, recently in that sector. Um, are, are, is the violence beginning to, to escalate, in your opinion, towards uh, towards the border patrol, or just the violence in Mexico beginning to spill over to us? That is really, you know, the disrespect, the level of the level of disrespect towards the Border Patrol and towards ICE has just reached a uh, a, a new uh, bottom. And uh, it continues to funnel out thanks to the uh, uh, thanks to the media, in my opinion, thanks to the liberal media. No, that's exactly it, man. You know, at the same time, unfortunately, you know, we have a lot of Hispanic people that this is what, what I always say. And it's, it's a big message to the Hispanic people. You know what? We're not dumb. We're smart as Hispanics. Stop allowing a certain political group to push you into their agenda and corner you off and make you look dumb. And and, and obviously them saying you're dumb because they say, hey, this is what you're supposed to believe. This is what it is. Don't do the research. Just listen to what I say. And you know what? I think those times are over. Uh, You know, it's just categorizing Hispanics in that group is ridiculous and we should all be offended by anyone that just wants to categorize us and tell us what we should do what we should stand what we should think you got it buddy uh art geez we're running out of time here but I wanted to thank I really really want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh for this conversation for this interview uh 
we got to get you. I got to get you back on the show again uh, real soon because uh, because your perspective, both as as a as an American of, of Mexican descent that's grown up on the on the border, that's serving our country and uh, as an agent. I mean, your perspective is tremendous, and I really, really, I really appreciate everything that you do from the bottom of my heart. I, I, I want you to know that I really do support so the border patrol. I really appreciate. I'm always available anytime you need me. Get me on. And I'm going to do my shameless plug. If people want to hear more about me and yes. what i got to say, go ahead and follow me at the Green Line. It's also available through iHeart. But I would be more than happy to be on your show as many times as you want me. Uh, you know, I've, I've met you before up at the fair, and I think you're fantastic, and you're doing, uh, you're doing a lot of good work because I know it's difficult as a Hispanic that's conservative. So I appreciate you for what you're doing and for giving me the opportunity to spread the message of the agents' voices, as I always say, it's not about me; it's about the agents. Yes. Oh, I, I you know, I have, I, I have always respected the agents, and you know, particularly when I worked with them uh, in in the Reagan administration, and even now, even more so now. I just, I, I think the world of the guys. Thank you very, very much. We've been talking with Art Del Cueto from uh, uh, the the Tucson Border Patrol uh, sector. And uh, we'll be right back. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got... uh, on KLUP, let me mention that, on KLUP, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, our good friend Dave Ray from FAIR, uh, the communications director for FAIR. And uh, I wanted to reach out to him because there is a uh, some legislation that has been proposed in the House that I would like for him to explain and talk to us about. Um, it's uh, another version of the Bracero program, uh, in my opinion, just more cheap labor. And, um, Dave, tell us what is happening. Tell us about this legislation, please. Welcome to the show and tell us about it. Uh, good to be with you again, George. Well, this is the mother of all misnomers. They're calling this the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, uh, H.R. 5038. It's a federal law that was passed last week by the House of Representatives. Yes, folks, they can do something besides obsess over impeachment. They can pass amnesties, too. But this would go to amnesty 1.5 million illegal alien farm workers, expand an H-2A program, and add 40,000 green cards to another category uh, used by agriculture as well. And uh, but, but the reason why this is such a misnomer, that this is anything but a modernization uh, the workers that that uh, are amnestied by this are tied to work for that farmer or that farm for a minimum of 10 years before they are allowed to uh, obtain any kind of legal res- permanent legal residency and then move on. So it is a form of indentured servitude that is has been you know re- remade in uh, uh, in modern America in uh, 2019 and uh, was passed by the House of Representatives last week that likes to see itself as a progressive body. I mean, it's a bad idea for a number of reasons. First of all, you know, George, illegal alien apprehensions, the Trump administration had announced just at the beginning of last week that illegal alien apprehensions have continued to fall for the sixth month in a row. If you recall in May, they were about 144,000 a month. They were down in November to 42,000 dollars, or 42,000 uh, people uh, in November. Now, I'll, I will tell you, when a similar program to this ag amnesty was passed in 1986, it was called the Saw Amnesty, Special Agriculture Worker Amnesty. And it caused a huge surge at the border. There were roughly 1.6 million illegal aliens apprehended at the border that year after that amnesty passed. So this is not the type of legislation you want to see pushed out there at a time when 
we're just starting to get a handle on uh, the border crisis earlier this year. Um, but what it is is a, another uh, – the Democrats get to feel good about it because uh, they, they look at it as a way to get a new group of voters – and uh, business likes to look at this because it sees a, it as a never-ending supply of cheap, exploitable workers who are tied to a specific farmer for a decade. Um, and so instead of addressing the needs of the men and women of the border, the House represents amnesties again. What's also worth noting, though, uh, is how regressive this will be for American workers. According to the Pew Research about 82% of those in agriculture, currently working in agriculture, are either legal immigrants or U.S. citizens, meaning that these are jobs that Americans won't do. These are, or these are, these are jobs that Americans will do. Americans are doing them right now in large numbers. And when you introduce an amnesty of this magnitude, that's all it's going to do is depress the wages and working conditions for those hardworking Americans who are probably having a tough time making it as it is. You know, it, it seems like the the Democrats would understand. Well, well, it seems like anybody would understand that if you reward illegal behavior, i.e. illegal immigration, you're going to get more of it. Uh, on top of that, these are the people that are always talking about fair wages and whatnot, and they are, you know, encouraging indent, indentured servitude. And the worst or among the poorest, if not the poorest counties in the whole nation uh, are, are located along the uh, Texas-Mexico uh, border because of, uh, of the glut of, uh, of cheap labor. All this combined, it would seem like some light bulbs would go on. Yeah, I mean, it, it's ironic that the group that calls, that thinks of, of itself as progressive would pass a law that reinstates indentured servitude while driving down the wages of some of the poorest Americans out there. I mean, you know, you see, uh, the, you know, the, the glut of workers that you oftentimes get in the Rio Grande Valley that drives down wages and working conditions there, and this is simply going to add to it. What it's also going to do, unfortunately, is, is cause things at our border that have, are finally coming under control to possibly heat up. Um, due to the, you know, they, they basically have raised the expectation now amongst those who are thinking about coming into the country illegally that if you get in, you're going to get this amnesty, even though that's not the case or shouldn't be the case. But I can't imagine um, the rationale behind tying any worker to a, a single employer for a decade. Do you not think that type of relationship is ripe for exploitation in every sense of the word. This is not a modernization. This is a throwback to indentured servitude. And frankly, the House leadership should be ashamed of itself. It had uh, help passing this bill with a handful of Republicans. So nobody's coming out of this completely clean handed, but it was certainly uh, passed by a majority of Democrats. Well, I guess the 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 the, the uh, people that are really pushing this are the agriculture business lobbyists. I would imagine, since they are the ones that are so powerful uh, when it comes to this type of situation. And again, that makes sense because it's all all they want all they want is cheap labor. <laughs> right. You know, and unfortunately, so long as we allow agriculture to have unending access to cheap labor, it's never going to mechanize. You know, the only thing that will spur mechanization is when labor gets more expensive or when it gets more difficult to find. Right now, neither of those are happening because we continue to have such a glut of illegal immigrants in the country. Uh, you know, George, um, there's very little enforcement in this bill, so there really it's really nothing but a grand giveaway to agriculture. Uh, there's the promise of E-Verify, at the end of this amnesty, but it would only apply to agriculture, whereas what we know that we really need is mandatory E-Verify across the board because illegal aliens are taking jobs in every sector. So, you know, this really does nothing to address the problem, and it uh, 
incentivizes more and increased illegal immigration. It is bad no matter what way you look at it. You know, when I was uh, in, 19, in 1983, when I was working on the uh, in the Reagan administration on the uh, on the issue of, uh, of of the 1986 law uh, that included the amnesty, one of the things that we were looking at was uh, how to incentivize people to take these jobs that uh, that uh, agriculture workers, that illegal alien agriculture workers were taking. And one of the things that we found immediately was that, uh, you know, a person could be on welfare and make as much money uh, uh, doing that, get as many benefits and, and, and money do, j- just being on welfare as uh, going out and working on the, on the fields. And so there was no, you know, there was no incentive. So one of the things that I think that has to also happen, not only raise the, the, the wages, uh, but also... Uh, uh, address the issue of uh, of welfare reform because you know people aren't stupid they're not going to work hard uh, out in the field if they if they get the same benefits <laughs> well yeah it, it is a, it is a bit of a problem and the ag industry likes to justify this saying if you don't give us access to uh, illegal alien labor then your food prices are going to go up let me tell you the taxpayer is not getting off scot free on this I mean if you're t- price of your tomato goes up five cents a pound let me tell you that's nothing compared to the 140 billion dollars a year u.s taxpayers are paying to cover the cost uh, of illegal immigration which includes you know k-12 through education incarceration social service uses i mean you know you your tomato might be five cents a pound cheaper, but you are paying for it in many, uh, through many other uh, streams of, uh, of costs, as I, as I mentioned. And so it would be, be much better for the United States for farmers to uh, wean themselves from this addiction to cheap labor, to mechanize a lot of these jobs. And the ones that aren't mechanized, if we can ever have a place where labor has some power in agriculture but about paying these folks a livable wage i mean that's really what this what's in the best interest of everyone is to pay farm workers a livable wage uh like i said 82 percent of the farm workers in the u.s right now including according to pew research are here legally uh it would be in our best interest to um let them have a livable wage and it would not incentivize future illegal activity illegal immigration narcotic smuggling, and so on that goes on uh, when we have large numbers of people streaming into the country. That's right. That's right. Dave, thank you very, very much for taking time to, uh, to talk to us about this. Uh, tell the folks how they, can, uh, how they can follow and support FAIR. Well, FAIR is the nation's oldest and largest immigration watchdog group. We're located right in the heart of the swamp on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. We've been around for 40 years. You can find us on the web at fairus.org, uh, on Facebook at fair, F-A-I-R, and on Twitter at hashtag fair immigration. Uh, we are the nation's premier immigration watchdog group, 2 million members and supporters across the country. Join FAIR and help America regain control of its destiny. Excellent. Thank you very, very much, Dave. We'll get you back on with uh, sometime soon with the with more information on what's happening, uh, not only at the swamp with uh, with immigration issues, but uh, what's happening uh, in other places. Great, looking forward to it, my friend. You have a wonderful Christmas. Thank you. You too, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP nine thirty AM radio, The Answer. El Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador. 
and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, Please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got uh, our real good friend, uh, Todd Benzman, from the uh, Center for Immigration Studies. And uh, I've reached out to him because uh, Todd has written a uh, very interesting article. He has taken a position which, um, among some folks, is not very, very popular. But his position, and I'm going to ask him to explain it, is that uh, it's not in the best interest of the United States to declare the cartels uh, terrorist organizations. Now, we've had uh, other folks on the show before who have definitely pushed for the idea that we need to put to uh, declare them uh, to brand these cartels in Mexico uh, uh, terrorist organizations and uh, that way to implement several uh, actions on them or against. But um, I wanted to get Todd to tell us, you know, what um, what alternatives are there? Why it's not a good idea, and what alternatives there are to uh, to address this problem? Todd, as usual, welcome to the show. Uh, tell us, tell us what you think. What? Why do you think it's not a good idea to declare them a, a, a terrorist organization? And what can be done to um, to address this problem that uh, seems to be uh, brewing, getting worse and worse across the border? Sure. First of all, thanks for having me on again and giving me the opportunity to talk. Uh, I took the position about the Mexican cartels. Uh, mainly when I saw that the president actually was getting close to designating them as terrorists, the same as ISIS and al-Qaeda. And my issue with it and the questions that I've raised in my writings uh, go to the heart of the the U.S. war on Islamic terrorism. Right now, the majority of... FTOs, foreign terrorist organizations, are assigned to Islamic groups abroad and at home. And since 9-11, we have built a very carefully built a counterterrorism infrastructure, a homeland security enterprise uh, that, that with the FBI at the top of the pyramid and then delegating uh, counterterrorism authorities and uh, activities to other agencies to go after Islamic terrorists and keep them suppressed so that they're not blowing our people up in shopping malls every day. Uh, And they do a pretty good job at it. And the concern that I've raised is that if you add tens of thousands of people overnight, Mexican uh, cartel members, uh, and on both sides of the border overnight, that it will break the system. And I'm not the only one who uh, thinks like that, who have thought about it like that as well. There are people inside who are who are uh, uh, counterterrorism warriors, I guess you could call them, uh, in intelligence agencies who have expressed the exact same concern that, hey, you're just going to suddenly quintuple our load overnight on a kind of a problem that nobody in this world is familiar with at all. So, so let me ask you: Would then, then is this more of a of a situation where we don't have the manpower and capacity and uh, and and the uh, funding for it, uh, or uh, I mean, it, all, it, it's, of, all of the above? Okay, that that there hasn't been sufficient thought given to how that load would be distributed and laid on our counterterrorism people. Uh, this is what they've been doing for 17, 18, 19 years. Uh, it's just like an impulsive, feel-good, I want to call these guys terrorists and treat them like terrorists. But what's happened now in the last few days is that uh, half a dozen 
Republican senators uh, have also heard the same messaging from our counterterrorism people that we're going to be overwhelmed. And they've come up with a bill that would amend the statute uh, next to FTO by it would create a brand new category for criminal organizations, powerful criminal organizations that would that would allow the, the government to, to apply the exact same powers, uh, tools and weapons against cartels as they do for Islamics. But it would be the DEA and, you know, these drug tests. It wouldn't fall on the counterterrorism people. It would fall on the people that already do drug, uh, you know, transnational uh, criminal drug organizations. Uh, so that has just been introduced by, um, co-sponsored by Senator Ted Cruz and Tom Cotton and co-signed on by seven other uh, senators, including Lindsey Graham. Uh, so it, 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 whether or not a, a bill like that could pass with just Republican support is pretty doubtful, but um, they're trying to get Democratic support too. And look, to me, if, if you skin the cat this other way, great, just skin that cat. Uh, but if you're going to skin the cat, you might as well not also kill the dog and, and the family goat or anything else. Uh, so that's kind of the way... I'm looking at this, and I've read the bill. I'm not saying it's a perfect bill. Maybe they can still tweak it and uh, work it a little bit more uh, once everybody gets to have their say-so on it. But I think it's a great start, and that's what I wrote about today at CIS.org, uh, talking about this alternative way to go after the cartels uh, with equal powers and with equal force, the same powers and authorities that we apply to the um, Al-Qaeda and ISIS. But, but just with... We're just not going to call them terrorists. Yeah, okay, but but we, we, would, we would get more money and more manpower to help with the effort, right? That's right, and it would be on a broader spectrum of agencies, and most of those agencies are not primarily doing counterterrorism, you know, on the Islamic. So, I mean, it's a priority. I think that we should just be able to preserve both priorities and... You know, this bill looks like it's a way to do that, and uh, I'm not I'm not opposed to seeing it tweaked. Uh, but but it looks like it's a pretty good bill. Now, my uh, the, my friends on uh, the FTO side, they just want to strictly have call them terrorists, might have a different opinion about whether it does the same thing. They tell me that they don't think it does the same thing. So I'll be eager to see how they what they mean by that. Let me ask you. Let me ask you because you've also written about this. I faced it. Yeah. Do, do you think? I mean, do you think that that these terrorist organizations that are already that are already in place, like ISIS and Hamas and the rest, do you, uh, from what you've the research that you've done, from the uh, investigating that you've done, do you think that they are taking? Uh, that they are working with the cartels to try to get into the United States. I mean, that's that's a big question that a lot of people always ask. Well, the way the way I look, the way I frame that question in my own mind is: Do the leaderships of the terrorist organization and the leaderships of the cartels get together and collaborate on a strategic plan together to um, do X, Y, and Z objectives? And I have seen no intelligence to support that that's happening at all, at that level. Uh, that, to me, would be collaboration. Uh, I, I have not seen intelligence. And also, importantly, I would point out that every time we extradite one of these big cartel uh, bosses to the United States and we could put them through our process, uh, you know, they're trying to cut deals to reduce their uh, prison time. And I've never once seen uh, coming out of that, you know, uh, uh, revelations that they had been working with Al-Qaeda all this time or Hezbollah. Like, they've never said that. I've never seen them come out and say, all right, let me, let me give you some information that would really reduce my prison time. You're going to love this. And look at all my cell phones and all my, my stuff. I can give you names of terrorists 
leaders that I've been working with, no, it never comes out of those prosecutions. Uh, now, do, do coyotes at the river who happen to work for cartels and pay a piso uh, sometimes cross people over who are terrorists? Uh, I do believe that that happens, but I don't believe that they know it happens because uh, the United States have, has a hard enough time vetting who these people are with databases. A coyote on the riverbank sure as hell doesn't have access to databases or the interest to know who they're crossing over. Very, very, very interesting. Do you think that there's also too much competition between the cartels uh, for there ever to be a collaborative effort with, uh, with one organization? You mean with a terrorist organization? Yeah, right. I mean, they, they, I, they seem to be more interested, the cartels at times seem to be more interested in shooting each other than in, uh, in doing anything else. Yeah, you know, look, there's, there's a fundamental um, problem with the notion that, you know, cartel bosses who are in, in their organizations who are going to be fundamentally Catholic, probably overwhelmingly Catholic, uh, working with a group like Hezbollah, which is uh, Shia Islam, and hates them and would never trust them, you know, uh, working together. I just don't, I don't see it, I don't see the cartels being interested, even if they're going to make a lot of money, in working with a group that, if it were to ever be found out, would probably actually bring the special forces down on their heads in um, Kuliakon. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, that is just bad, bad business, Gotcha. Uh, bad decision. There's no amount of money that, that they would do. And Hezbollah, as an example, you know, as an organization, uh, they know that the cartel people are constantly being arrested. Yes, right. True. Listen, we've got, deals. Yeah, we've only got another uh, uh, a few seconds left. Um, give us give us a, 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 a tell us. How people can follow and read more about uh, your your uh, uh, your research and and, uh, uh, and your writings. Sure, the best place is uh, www.toddbensman.com. That's my website. It's a repository for all my writings. You can pretty much see everything there. Uh, so uh, almost as soon as it publishes, so that's the best place. And you can follow me on Twitter at Benzman Todd. Gotcha. We've been talking to uh, Todd Benzman from uh, the Center for Immigration Studies. George Rodriguez on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.